askew. If you're turning with me in your Bibles this morning to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs the 6th chapter. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 19. And the title of my sermon is Things God Hates. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. and We pray as we look at this particular portion of your word that you would be our teacher, our instructor, our helper, and our guide. Father, we want to be more like you. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to think your thoughts after you. And I pray that our deliberations over this text this morning might help us as we pursue that goal every day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that uh, the, the title of my sermon this morning, uh, Things God Hates, might sound strange to some of you. We're not in the habit of thinking about God hating anything. You know, we focus so much on the biblical teaching uh, that God is love that it's almost contrary to reason to think there might be some things that God hates. And I want to be clear as we begin this morning, God is love. The Bible teaches that clearly. He is the epitome of love. He is the source of all true and perfect love. Real love is defined by the character of God. It is his nature to love and to show love. We find in the Bible there are some things that God doesn't love. There are some things, in fact, the Bible says that God hates. And seven are listed here. Look again at verse 16 where it says there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Now I want you to notice what it is the text says God hates. It's primarily things and not people. In fact, the focus is upon the things in our bodies that we use to sin, to do things that displease God. The eyes, the tongue, the hands, the heart. God hates those things that lead us and drive us to sin, to do those things which are displeasing to him. Now, as I said earlier, as God's people, our desire ought to be to love the things that God loves. And to hate the things God hates. We want to be more like him, then we have to understand what it is that pleases him and what it is that does not. Now, when we speak of God's hatred 
for sin or for God's anger against sin, we must realize that his anger is not like ours. He's not filled with a a burning hot, red-faced rage like we do sometimes. But rather he is consumed with a deep loathing and a repulsion toward those things that are contrary to his nature and are an affront to his holiness. And so we find here in the text seven things that God hates. Now I would submit to you this is not a comprehensive list. This is not, these are not the only things God hates. These are the kinds of things that God hates. However, I do believe that since the Holy Spirit gives us seven specified in his word that we ought to take special note of what we find here in these verses from Proverbs chapter 6. So the question this morning, what does the Bible say here that God hates? The first one is pride or what the text describes, at least in my text, is haughty eyes. God detests a proud heart. You know, James says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that really is one of the distinguishing mark of the Christian. You know, Francis Schaeffer wrote a little pamphlet years ago called The Mark of a Christian. And the mark of a Christian, he said, was love. And that's true. But I would submit to you that one of the, one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian also is a sense of brokenness and contrition and humility. And that arrogance and pride is contrary to a godly nature. One of the reasons that these haughty eyes or the successes of a man of pride is such an abomination to God and the reason he hates it is because it's so contrary not just to his nature but also to the nature of Jesus. I said at the end end of the month, Gavin's going to, to preach a sermon on the humility of Christmas, the humility of Christ who humbled himself giving himself as not just a sacrifice for our sin, but before that, taking upon himself human nature, mingling with sinners like you and me, then taking upon himself the punishment for sin he did not commit. The biblical admonition is for us to be like that, to be like Jesus, to show his humility. His haughty eyes remind me of a story I heard of a woodpecker. It's a fable. The woodpecker was up on a tree pecking away. It must have been down in the south because a thunderstorm came up quite suddenly. And while the woodpecker was pecking on the tree, a bolt of lightning struck the tree and shattered it into a thousand pieces. And the woodpecker flew off to another limb of another tree. And he looked back at the splintered tree where he'd been pecking away and he said my my look at what I did you know we chuckle at a woodpecker in the story it's kind of funny not so funny not so funny when it describes us and our attitude reminded of King Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon a man of great power and wealth and prestige a man who went out one day on the roof of his house and began to reflect on just 
just how well he had done. And he said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? But right after that, Nebuchadnezzar heard a voice from God. And God said, Nebuchadnezzar, I'll show you who built this. I'll show you who has real power. And of course, he was sent off into exile, into a time of great suffering, to learn the lesson of who really had power. Yes, God hates pride or haughty eyes. He is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. A second thing the text says that God hates, still in verse uh, 17, is a lying tongue. It's interesting to me that just as haughty eyes or pride was contrary to the, to the nature and the character of Jesus, a lying tongue is as well. You know, Jesus is the truth. He said of himself in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word of God, the Bible, is described as a book of truth. Hebrews 6 says, it is impossible for God to lie. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie. And The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. And so the reality is that when you're not saying something that is true, you know that you're not following the ways of God, but you're following the ways of the evil one. To, de- to, de- to deny the truth is so contrary to God's nature. It is so offensive to him that he hates it. See, God's people are to be people of the truth. When God says something, you can believe it. You can depend upon it. You can trust in it. Every word in this book is true. And that's what ought to be the goal of our lives. To have every word that we speak be true. So that people can believe the things that we say. People ought to have confidence. that When you say something, you're telling them the truth. You know, the old saying is that um, say what you mean and mean what you say. And there's a lot of biblical truth in that. Uh, We need to be people of the truth who say exactly what we mean and mean exactly what we say because that's the way God is. Now that has some very practical ramifications, doesn't it? We would all be amazed probably if we just counted up the times every day that we didn't quite exactly tell the truth. For example, if you tell someone you're going to meet them at 2.30 and you show up at 3, you didn't tell them the truth. If you told somebody you would do something and you didn't do it, you didn't tell them the truth. 
If you tell somebody one thing when you really thought something else, then you didn't tell them the truth. God is a God of truth. God hates a lying tongue. And so we ought to pursue the truth that is in Jesus. Then there's a third thing in the text that God hates. Still in verse chapter, or excuse me, verse uh, 17, and that is hands that shed innocent blood. The reference there is to murder or the taking of human life. Innocent life, we might call it, is an abomination to God. And human life has value. Has value because we were made in the image of God. And therefore to attack another person, to take their life, is to attack someone who's made in God's image. And that is something that should strike fear in all of our hearts. Because we live in a country that devalues human life. Hardly a day goes by when you don't read or hear of a murder or a multiple murder or what we call mass murders. This is just routine. And now you know all the rage is what they call the knockout game where groups of people surround unsuspecting an unsuspecting person and go up and uh, just hit them for no reason. Knock them out, knock them down, sometimes causing a serious injury or even death. And, you know, the, the game is you, you videotape it and you put it on the Internet for, for people to see. Even more frightening, of course, is the unbelievable number of abortions that are committed in our country every year and have been for decades. It is legalized murder with the blessing and permission of the government. And what does the Bible say about that? My Bible says that God hates it. And all the while we wonder why our country is in the shape it's in. What do we do to think? That God will somehow turn his head and act like it, it doesn't happen? I would imagine that the United States of America today and its moral fiber far exceeds that of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what God did to those cities. So do I expect, to be honest with you, do I expect God's hand of blessing on our country? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Until there is genuine repentance and renewal and revival and a change from what the Bible calls our wicked ways I do fear for my children. And if God allows me someday, my grandchildren, as to what they might experience in the coming days. Our failure to protect the value of human life makes God angry. He hates it. There's a fourth thing the text says God hates. That's in verse 18. And it's a heart that devises wicked plans. First, somebody who plots evil, who plans to do ahead of time, who, who thinks up a way to commit sin. 
Thinks of a way to injure, to harm, embarrass someone else, or to go away from God's will. Now, it's important to notice that the text says God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. You know, the Bible's clear. It's out of the heart that proceed all the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And, and God hates a heart that is focused on evil and plots and plans and devises wicked things to do. You know, it's one thing to, to fall into sin. We all encounter temptations, and sometimes those temptations are more than we can bear, and we succumb to them, we fall to them. But it's another thing to plot evil, to plan it, to set aside time for it. And the Bible says that God hates it. He hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Then there's a fifth. Seal in verse 18. It's feet that run rapidly to evil. It describes a, a hurried approach. Someone almost anxious to do what is wrong. It really goes together with what we just saw about a heart that devises wicked plans. The, the, the first part of this verse is someone who plots the evil. The latter part of this verse is describing someone who runs quickly to do it, to carry it out. This is a person who doesn't have to be persuaded. Doesn't have to have their arm twisted. They're ready. Ready to do what displeases God. You know, for the believer, just the opposite ought to be the case. The Bible says we're to resist the devil. And if we do, he will flee from us. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand the assaults of the evil one in the evil day. A believer ought to have feet that are rapidly running to obedience and drag themselves slowly to disobedience. God hates feet that run rapidly to evil. Then there's a sixth thing the text says God hates. And it is a false witness who utters lies. And we saw earlier that uh, a lying tongue made the list this is similar, but a bit different. When the text describes here or talks about a false witness who utters lies, he's referring to slander. By saying something that's not true about another person, making false statements about another person to uh, put a shadow on their character or to demean them in the eyes of others. Whenever we do that, whenever you say something that you know is not true about someone else, it's not just a little small matter. God hates it. You know, typically today we call that rumors, don't we? You know, you hear something about someone else and it's not very flattering. Isn't it fun to, to spread rumors? Isn't it fun to tell somebody something about somebody else that you don't think they know? Have you heard? Did you know? Boy, when you spread it and you haven't checked out the facts and it's not right, 
God hates it. And the Bible has all kinds of warnings about the use of the tongue. I don't know about you, but boy, there are lots of things I've said I wish I could take back. The unfortunate thing about life is, real life is, it's not like a computer. There's no delete button. You can't go back and erase the history. The Bible says the tongue is a powerful tool. You know it is. It can do so much good. Some of you are such encouraging people. And you use your tongues, you use your words to encourage others and to build them up. And boy, what a great blessing that is. You know how that feels, don't you? Have somebody come to you and say something nice or encouraging to you or about you. But you know the tongue can do just the opposite, can't it? It can rip us to shreds. And one of the ways we use our tongue to damage other people is by saying things that aren't quite right, aren't quite true about them. The text says that God actually hates a false witness who utters lies. Someone who says things untrue about other people. And so we need to be careful what we say. There's one more, a seventh thing the text says God hates. And that is at the end of verse 19, it's one who spreads strife among brothers. Now that's, I guess, kind of personal, doesn't it? It kind of talks about about us. It kind of talks about the body of Christ. It talks about the church. It gets at how we relate to each other within the fellowship of faith and the fellowship of believers. You see, just you know, spreading strife anywhere is bad enough. You do it at work. You do it at home. You do it uh, at the deer camp, wherever you might be. Spreading strife anywhere is bad enough. But boy, spreading it in the church is something God hates. When someone causes, purposefully causes discord in the body of Christ, it's an abomination in God's eyes. You see, the church is a special place. And I hope you realize that. The church is a haven of rest for weary souls. It's a fountain of refreshment for discouraged people. It's a healing balm for people who are bruised and battered from spiritual warfare. If there's any place in the world where you ought to be able to come and find respite and solace and peace and comfort and encouragement and love, it ought to be in the church. And God is displeased with anyone who upsets that in the body of Christ. You know, we sing a hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. And sometimes it seems that tie is knotted with a very flimsy string. Isn't that true? I've said it before. You know it to be true. Why people can get their feelings hurt the quickest and the most in the church, can't they? It is 
almost unreal. But it's the work of the devil, isn't it? He knows. Boy, the devil hates it when the church is in sweet fellowship. The devil hates it when there's a a special bond that unites God's people together because he knows it's a witness to the power of Christ because it's so unnatural. And he will do everything in his power to upset it and to disrupt it. It is unfortunate how often strife describes the church instead of peace and rest. And the Bible says that God hates one who spreads strife among brothers. Well, it's an encouraging sermon, isn't it? You know it is. You know why it's encouraging? Because I'm thankful God tells me what he hates. I'm thankful God is clear about that. Because that tells me here are seven things that I better make sure I hate too. These are seven things that I better try my best to avoid. To run from and to flee from. That's what the Bible is about. It's about telling us who God is, what God likes, how it is that we can please Him. And if you're engaged in any one of these seven things, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly evil, a false witness who utters lies, or one who spreads strife among brothers, then you're not pleasing him. I got more discouraging news. You can't please him on your own. You can't. But aren't we thankful that we have help? Aren't we thankful we have help? That we have Jesus himself who has set us the example that we are to follow. Because his life is the contrary to each of these seven things. And we have the Holy Spirit to prod our conscience, to illumine God's word, to empower us every day to love the things God loves, to hate the things God hates, and do the things that please Him. Let's pray. I thank you so much for your holy word. And we pray that this morning, this text might open our eyes to some things in our lives that maybe we ought to change. Father, we don't don't want to be involved in things you hate. We want to do the things you love. And I pray that we would look to Jesus and find those and trust in the Holy Spirit to help us to pursue them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to conclude our service.